We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what is going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. If you're a real one, you are tuned in live right now. 1.15 a.m. It was a late, 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 emphasis on the late, kickoff for Oregon on Saturday against the Stanford Cardinal. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's my guy, Graham Metzger. And we are here to give you our instant reactions to Oregon's 45-27 to win over Stanford at home in Autzen Stadium in Eugene. And uh, man, there was a there was a lot uh, to get into in this one, Graham. So uh, first of all, how are you doing? And, and just kind of some of your initial thoughts. Max, I'm doing good. It's late, but there's only one place in the country that you get this late football, this Pac-12 after dark vibe. So you know what? I'm trying to keep my spirits up. It's 1.15 in the morning, but the Ducks got the win. So I'm doing good, Max. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it was it was a fun game to watch, no doubt about it. Um, there's a lot we can get into here. Um, I think just one of the the biggest things for me is it was just a it was a, a blowout, and like Oregon looked really good in, in a lot of phases. Uh, you know, Bo Nix looked pretty good. Troy Franklin looked like he continued to do his thing. Uh, Buck Irvine was just super hard to bring down yet again. Um, but uh, I think the thing that was kind of shocking, Graham, was the the penalties. I think that was like one of the dominant storylines of this game was just how sloppy Oregon looked at times, particularly on the offensive side of the ball with a lot of uh, false starts, some illegal men downfield, some holding, 14 total penalties for 135 yards. That was just not to get into the negative right away, but I feel like everywhere you looked on Twitter, it was just like, wow, like, you know, more penalties coming out. And it was kind of a shock. Yeah, Max. Uh, and Lanning definitely uh, highlighted that even ahead of the positives. So it's fair that we do as well. Um, he called into the radio at halftime, and he voiced a similar uh, emotion after the game, just that Oregon is the only team that is really beating Oregon right now. They're beating themselves when they do this. Um and you can say, you know, we're starting with the negatives, but Dan Lanning doesn't want this to be a good team. He wants this to be a great team. And great teams don't have 14 penalties in a game against them. They just don't. Yeah, and, and I think that that's what's kind of interesting is that it felt in a way like we've seen, like it's a new Oregon team, 
but it's not totally a new Oregon team because shooting yourself in the foot has definitely been a common refrain for Oregon in the past couple of years. Um, I, like I feel whether it's penalties or turnovers or just finding some way to, you know, let the other team back in the game, wasting timeouts when you don't need to and talk about that a little bit. I know a lot of people like uh, to get after Mario Cristobal on, on that one. Um, but yeah, this is like, it was, it was 31 to three at halftime, Graham, and then it ended up being 45 to 27. So I think that the box score doesn't really tell the whole story in this one with, uh, you know, what the final score ended up being. I just want to put it out there, though. I had I might have had the closest prediction of our uh, of our team over at Ducks Digest. I had 45 to 20, and then there was that touchdown uh, with uh, I think it was like a minute left, like a minute or so left, and then I my, my uh, perfect prediction went out the window. You know what? It's a it's a shame, Max, for sure. I'm sorry, Yank. Get the prediction. You definitely still got the closest out of our group. I was predicting that both teams would score a little bit more, but I was right in predicting that, um, you know, Oregon would let off, let their foot off the brakes a little bit. I was even thinking that we would see Ty Thompson and that would be when the regression kind of happens for Oregon, when they open that door just a little bit, didn't do it too much today, but still have not seen the best uh, of this Oregon team for sure. And Lanning will be the first one to tell you that. Yeah, and that's what he was saying. You know, it was kind of a, a typical uh, landing presser uh, that we've gotten to to know so far here in the 2022 season, five weeks in now. I think we kind of know what we're going to get for the most part from uh, from landing. But uh, let's let's start with the offense because I think that that was definitely uh, the story uh, of this game. And Oregon's offense has really carried them so far this season, but the defense has obviously had its moments too. Uh, of you know shining and, and having some good play uh, but let's start with Bo Nix 16 for 29 161 yards and two touchdowns through the air and he was Oregon's leading rusher uh, six carries for 141 yards on the ground two touchdowns with a long of 80 yards averaging 23.5 yards per carry um, maybe not the best night passing the ball for for Bo Nix but um Nonetheless, any way you slice it, it was uh, four touchdowns and um, and uh, you know another another solid game for Bo. Yeah, like you said, Max, it could have been a better passing game from him. But how are you going to complain when your quarterback scores four touchdowns and runs for 140 yards on the ground? Landing, like you were saying, you know we kind of know the way that he talks now. He said he had a funny quote from the presser saying. Yeah, he better, Bo Nix better be our top rusher. If you have a 80-yard rushing touchdown, you should probably go over 100 rushing yards on the game. But overall, a really strong performance from Bo Nix. It's good to see a type of uh, performance like this from Nix because it shows you that he is so multidimensional. He doesn't just need to get it done in the air or on the ground, but it's that mixture where Bo is the best for Oregon. Yeah, and and I think that, that this was one of the one of the good things for for me just to see from this game was um, I, we were talking about doing a uh, a three up three down story on on Ducks Digest that I'm gonna write um, you know in the next 24 hours or whatever it is just kind of peeling back the layers of this game and I think that I would go stock up on Bo's rushing ability you know Bo Nix and the run game because it has it's been utilized but a lot of it's really been close to the goal line. He's calling his own number. He did it again with one of his two rushing touchdowns where he 
He had a dirty pump fake to get the defender in the air. Uh, I think it was Caillou Blue Kelly, I want to say, you know, one of their best defensive backs, and then he ran it in for for a, a touchdown. Um, so Bo Nix is, is really starting to show that that he can uh, – we already knew he could make an impact in the run game as well, but I feel like it was a really solid overall game uh, fr- from Bo, and uh, good to see him take care of the ball again. Yeah, it was. We definitely knew Bo Nix could – uh, was reliable for rushing in the in those short distance uh, close to goal red zone type of scenarios. It was really promising to see him rush outside of the red zone today. That 80 yard run that ended up being a touchdown. It was a pass play at first that he didn't see anything he liked. Stepped up in the pocket and kept on stepping, and that was obviously a great play. He had a wonderful play on his other rushing touchdown with the pump fake kind of little side shrug little Mike, Michael Jordan push off a little bit if you will um definitely stock up for Bo Nix's rushing game it's the third straight game in Austin Stadium for Bo Nix where he scored at least four touchdowns no turnovers again on the day that's QB1 yeah and and another part that maybe flew under the radar for some people but I kind of found myself thinking a couple times I I love seeing the deep shots but I feel like his deep ball really wasn't that great tonight um, because he had two where they ended up being thrown into double coverage and they were kind of just sinking. Like you could definitely tell they were just losing steam on their way down. So I think that they're, he's pretty lucky that two of those didn't get intercepted. Uh, and then he also had, uh, he had a deep ball to Chris Hudson where he, he just slightly overthrew him uh, and missed him. So that I'm sure is a, is a throw that he wanted back. So I don't want to beat up on Bo Nix at all. I'm just saying that uh, maybe it makes sense to dial it back a little bit. And, um, you know, you still got to make sure you're taking those calculated risks. But um, overall, pretty solid showing. It's a fair criticism, Max. It is because in past weeks, that deep ball has just looked so good, especially to Troy Franklin. And there's never been a question when he's throwing it in the past. Um, You know, he wasn't throwing it into double coverage on those deep balls in the past few weeks where we've been seeing him do really well with it. So that's definitely something to work on. But again, to circle back to the main point, just shows you that Knicks can do it in multiple ways. Yeah, and and I think also just to – maybe we can kind of do this in two parts. We'll talk about the offense and then the defense, and then hopefully I'll be able to get another show uh, with you guys where we kind of go more in-depth. We just wanted to get something for folks to wake up to, and you know they want to hear about the game, so you know we're going to come through for them. But um, Troy Franklin – uh, continues to just be an absolute stud. Um, you know, not so much there from a volume standpoint or a statistical standpoint this game, um, but that touchdown was phenomenal. Like, that was just a thing of beauty. Uh, kind of a weird play. You know, Bo scrambled out to his right. Uh, Troy had kind of gotten to the top of his route in the back of the end zone, and he worked his way back against Caillou Blue Kelly and just had this awesome toe-tap touchdown uh, there. I think it was his third on the year. Um, and I, I tweeted out like, man, it's just, it's insane that he was on this team last year. Like, I feel like unless you were an Oregon fan, if you had never watched this team, you would have been like, oh, this guy, you know, he's a young guy. He probably didn't do very much last year. Like maybe I'm not wording that right, but it's just, it's just night and day. Troy, Troy Franklin is, is absolutely the, the lead wide out for this team. And I really do feel like he's just getting started. And if they can get, you know, some other guys getting some more some more volume, like, you know, Coda had a touchdown as well. I, I think that it's just it's only going to help raise his uh, ceiling, I think. 
Yeah, it's really, really convincing. And first of all, your first point is totally correct. How did Troy Franklin not play for this team last year? It just goes back to all of the headaches that the Mario Cristobal era had with that offensive side of the ball. But anyways, we're here to talk about the good stuff today. Um, Troy Franklin is the best pass catcher on this team. He's the most reliable. He was targeted the most tonight. He had the most receptions tonight. Um, he's the leader in those categories on the season. And it's it really is a very talented pass catching group. And I feel like that's why he's having such a good season. You know, Bo likes to look to Terrence Ferguson in the red zone. He's got Chase Cota for those, you know, type of short yard passes. But Troy Franklin has just been so good at every level, you know, just getting those short passes to move the sticks, the deep balls that Bo Nix has been connected on earlier, and the toe the toe tap swag. I mean, come on. Troy Franklin, just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Yeah, that was great. And I, I think another cool highlight was that touchdown pass to Chase Coda. I think it was at the end of the first quarter. Stanford was like just trying to get off the field, but but you had Oregon was like, no, 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 let's go. Let's get one more in. And then he got the ball, hit that hole, and was just gone. Super cool. I know he was asked about, uh, you know, kind of what it was like to get his first touchdown. He was like saying he looked up to those seats in the in the crowd where he grew up going to games. So uh, really a cool full, full circle moment for, for Chase. And I'm kind of surprised it took five games for him to, to get his first touchdown. Um, not that that's any slight to him. I just felt like the volume would be there more. Um, and, you know, Terrence Ferguson, like you were saying, has emerged as a top red zone target. And then Troy Franklin as well. So it seems like it's good that we're seeing more of these guys just uh, get involved here. Sean Dollars had three three catches as well. Um, but we've been talking a lot about the pass game, and we talked about Bo on the ground. Let's talk a little bit about the rushing attack before we talk about the, the defense. Um, Noah Whittington led the team with 11 carries for 66 yards, and Bucky Irving was there at 10 carries for 97 yards, uh, averaging 9.7 yards a carry. Just unreal numbers and i mean th this guy he just he continues to impress every week and i feel like he's really making a case for himself as the best running back in in the pac 12 he, he didn't do as much from a receiving standpoint this game as he did against washington state coming up with some really big catches most notably that fourth and two last week but d this dude's just so fun to watch I, I don't know how else you describe it he just he he bounces off every guy it feels like that comes into contact with him and he has a knack of turning nothing into something yeah max you said it first of all i think today he clearly proved that he's the best running back in the oregon team i'm ready to start having that conversation in the next few weeks that he's among the best in the pac 12 sure uh I'm, I'm i'm ready for that soon i don't know if we're there just yet but i'm definitely ready for that soon but today was just another day i felt like uh, all of us up in the Oregon press box were just constantly fawning over Bucky Irving. Just the way that he runs. Um, only 10 carries on the game, but I felt like every single time he touched the ball, he was so hard to bring down. He took at least two or three guys, uh, two or three defenders to take him down. The way he switches the field, the way that he is so strong and solid with his runs, it take, like I was saying, you know, so hard to bring down. He's incredible to watch. And he had he had he ended the game with 97 rushing yards. He had 90 of those in the first half. That is crazy. They definitely started looking other ways. You know, Bo had that big 80-yard uh, rushing touchdown, so it's easy to kind of look past Irving. But to me, he's the best runner on this team. 
Yeah, he's he's really just cementing himself as, as a key component of this Oregon offense. Just a couple more, you know, kind of superlatives on the, the Oregon offense, you know, talking about the rushing attack. Um, even with how penalized Oregon's offensive line was and how kind of unorganized it looks at times, you know, these penalties, these false starts, these holds, they, they're kind of drive killers or drive stallers. This team still finished with 351 rushing yards, which is insane, averaging nine and a half yards a carry. And then uh, one of my other one of my other points, actually, Eric's asking about here. Uh, it was interesting. We didn't see Byron Cardwell uh, again. Um, he was he was dressed and he went through pregame warmups, but we we didn't see him play in this one. True freshman Jordan James had three carries for nine yards and was able to score another touchdown. He's you know that short yardage back for the team kind of that Cyrus Habibi Likio type of role. Um, so Dan Lanning said earlier this week that, uh, you know, he's going to, they're going to continue to evaluate how he, how he is in practice and, and if he's able to, you know, go through everything without any hitches. But, um, you know, I don't want to speculate too much on injuries, but, um, you know, Carwell didn't play again. So it's, it's definitely something worth, uh, you know, talking about a little bit because even when the game was totally blown wide open, you know, Sean Dollars is in there getting carries. Yeah, it's definitely worth noting at the very least, Max, because at the beginning of this year, I was convinced that it was Cardwell's backfield to lose. I thought he would be the top running back from day one, and he just wouldn't let go. You know, he is very, very talented, just like all the runners on this team. But Oregon has so many options at receiving. It has so many options at running back that, you know, when a guy like Cardwell is injured and maybe could go but you decide not to let him go a guy like seven mcgee and the wideouts you know gets ejected you've got so much talent on this team that in a game like this maybe not in a tougher against a tougher opponent but in a game like this you can rely on your depth yeah and and that's what i think is kind of the key word for oregon with this offense is they just have a lot of different guys contributing and if someone needs to come out there there's not a whole lot of drop off um we definitely have more we can get to there, but we want to get quickly to some defensive reactions and, and takeaways. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break for those listening on podcast. So give us a second and we'll be right back with more Oregon football talk about the Stanford win after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Graham Metzger, who was in Eugene covering the game for us over uh, on Ducks Digest, running our live update story. Let's switch gears now and talk about the defense, Graham, because I think that, like I was saying a little bit earlier, the final box score, you know, 27 points, that, that Stanford offense was awful. Like, really, really bad. Like, borderline painful to watch at times. I don't know why they're running the mesh offense. There were like single digit number of times it works. Tanner McGee's not a mobile quarterback. Um, it, it was just, it was gross, but um, Oregon was able to capitalize making some good plays on defense uh, ended up finishing the day with uh, three sacks and Brandon Dorless played a heck of a game. So did Noah Sewell and the Ducks were without DJ Johnson to start. But um, I don't think that, the Ducks were, you know, too hurt or, you know, threatened really in this one by uh, Stanford's wide receiver core, which is honestly pretty good. Maybe they're just not in the system that fits them. Yeah. First of all, you know, laying it down, Max, a little bit harder than you might usually. I know. I'm fired up. Maybe it's because I'm burning <laughs> on fumes. But that was awful, with dude. Like, what the heck? No, I'm with it. I'm with it. And coming into this game, I was expecting that, Stanford would have a solid passing attack. You know, Tanner McKee is a good quarterback, not a mobile quarterback, but a good quarterback. And they've got capable receivers outside talking about Michael Smith. You know, that's a very solid receiver for Stanford. And he was clamped up all night. Oh, excuse me. Michael Wilson. I'm sorry. I got you. Michael Wilson, two catches for 14 yards. That's because of Christian Gonzalez. He was seriously locked down tonight. Yeah, we we so I think someone was uh someone was commenting about him earlier actually. Um, all right, here we go from Will Gonzo is a beast, best tackler on the team. He says with his comment, but yeah, I think that that was really the matchup that we were looking for. Um, you know, Gonzo against you know wide receiver one, whether it was uh, Michael Wilson or Elijah Higgins, who did end up getting a touchdown. Um, but I thought that that was a really good. I thought as as imposing as Stanford's wide receivers are just like by pure talent alone, I thought that Oregon secondary and their corners did, did step up uh, and play a a pretty solid game. Um, Higgins led the Cardinal with six catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. And then Casey Filkins had three catches for 59 yards and a touchdown, but he had that one 40 yard catch and run that kind of skews the stats. Um, I, I will say Justin Flo wasn't available, so that was a, another talking point for for this defense, uh, which was interesting because he wasn't really discussed too much in the press conferences leading up to the game uh, about um, just his availability. But um, you know, and he played last week against Washington State, so I thought that, that was kind of a, a little bit of a shock. Uh, and then the Ducks chose to kind of go with some of their typical guys rotating at linebacker. Uh, you know, Sewell was obviously out there, Bossa, Keith Brown, Jackson LaDuke, guys like that. Yeah, Max. And here's one thing I noticed from the first half when DJ Johnson was not in, he came back for the second half after that targeting suspension. But in the first half, 
Noah Sewell, who is usually man in the middle, middle linebacker, was lining up at edge rusher. And instead, the Ducks were looking to Jeffrey Bossa and Keith Brown in the middle of the field. And Sewell was having plenty of success going against those uh, Stanford offensive linemen. He was getting through. And then DJ Johnson comes back in the second half. Sewell slots back into his his home, his linebacker position. And DJ Johnson ends the game with the sack. I mean, it's it's like we were talking about earlier with the offense. That depth is serious. But someone like Noah Sewell that can so effortlessly switch from defensive end to middle linebacker, I don't know many players in the nation that do that like him. Yeah, that was a, a little bit of a wrinkle that we saw from uh, from this game was was Noah being utilized more as a pass rusher. And I say do it more, um, you know, especially if guys are going to – you don't want guys to be able to just key in on DJ Johnson uh, as, you know, your main pass rusher. Um, but just on the topic of not even necessarily sacks, but just generating some pressure and getting some really good knockback, I got to give a shout-out to Casey Rogers. This was like – I think this was Casey Rogers' best game since he uh, got to Oregon, the, the Nebraska transfer. He was really good st- in run support as well. Um, definitely a bit of a – not a, ba- a bad performance, but um, 127 yards for Stanford running the ball. Uh, that definitely was not a stat I expected – um, especially because they had a couple of tackles that were questionable, and um, they, uh, they, they, I think they lost one of their guards that got carted off uh, earlier on in that game. So the, the offensive line wasn't a, a strength at, at any uh, by any means, and they were still able to to get some some pretty good yards, um, you know, running the ball, which was a little bit surprising. Um, so, but yeah, I think that I, I really just wanted to give some props to Casey Rogers. Uh, he's definitely going to be one of my uh, best defensive performers, and it's good that they're able to get contributions and and you know steady play from some of these newer guys. Um, you know, Sam Taimani, Keon Ware Hudson as well, uh, with with Popo being out for the year. So um, I thought that was one of my you know my biggest takeaways is that Casey Rogers looks like he's really uh, really starting to fill in and, and find his groove. Yeah, Casey Rogers really did look good. Um, he was breaking through the middle of that Stanford offensive line quite a lot. And right next to him, breaking in just as much, if not even more, was the man we always talk about on the defensive line, Brandon Dorless. He had a fantastic game. Five total sacks, or excuse me, five total tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss. I mean, he was disrupting everything. It felt like every time Stanford's offense picked up a little bit of momentum, big bad Brandon Dorless came through and wrecked up their plays. So, you know, we do it. Casey Rogers stepped up today in this game. It was a great performance for him at the defensive tackle and Dorless doing what he always does, being excellent at it. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Dorless is a guy. Um, he's been a guy since he got to Oregon, and he's just continuing to improve year after year. Uh, another bit, and he was he was also saying that he, after the game, was like, you know, the whole deal with, with DJ missing the first half because of the targeting um, call against Washington State. He's like, you know, I felt like I had to put it on me. You know, I had to take over the defense and kind of put him on my back. And, and he definitely did just that. Um, so I thought that was, you know, great to see. Uh, seeing you want to have that senior leadership and those guys that you can lean on. You don't want it to just be DJ Johnson because, you know, he could get hurt or something else could happen. Um, and he may not be available for a play or two or, you know, extend a period of time. But I think another big takeaway, Graham, for this defense. How about the third down defense? I thought that was a great improvement for this Oregon team. And part of the reason that this game got so ugly so fast is because they were able to get off the field. I think at times, I'll be honest, 
I think it was bad Stanford offense, but um, getting off the field when you can is crucial. It's, you know, one of those ways, I don't think it's necessarily the same deal as uh, shooting yourself in the foot, but just being able to capitalize on those opportunities when you can get off the field, get a stop and um, just get the ball back to your offense. I, I thought that that was really good. So um, I think that's still an area that they want to continue improving, but just by being able to get off the field, like it, it keeps the game manageable, allows you to keep continuing to build momentum. So that was definitely a win for, for the Oregon defense. Definitely. And whether it's, you know, poor offensive uh, play calling or a strong defensive play, getting off the field on third down is getting off the field in uh, on third down, you know, um, the defense stepped up when they needed to step up. I didn't think that any part of uh, Oregon's game tonight was flawless, but did what they needed to do. We talked about um, solid uh, tackler. Someone commented that Christian Gonzalez is one of the most solid tacklers on the team. For my money, you definitely Christian Gonzalez is up there, but I got Bennett Williams as well. S- just another really strong veteran presence on this Oregon defense. He ended up forcing that fumble um, that Noah Sewell picked up. That was the only turnover that Oregon forced all game. Um, and this Oregon secondary is something that we've worried about in weeks. We've worried about in the past. We'll worry about it in future weeks. But it felt good this game because I'm never really going to be questioning Christian Gonzalez or Bennett Williams. You know, whatever else happens in the secondary, I can trust those two guys. Yeah, and, and I think another interesting note about the secondary um how about J.J. Greenfield? That guy got a ton of snaps tonight. Um, and I think that they're warranted because he he was really making a, a name for himself and making a, a good presence uh, on special teams um, a season ago. And then, you know, he rejoins the program uh, after spending some time at, uh, I think it was College of San Mateo or at the JUCO level. And um, he, he's carving out a role. So I think that they're still rotating guys quite a bit, maybe more than I would like to see at safety. Um, but Tricos Bridges seems like he's he's you know continuing to to get a little bit better and uh, maybe maybe he has a little bit of a, a, a firmer grasp uh, or grip on that cornerback uh, two role um, for, for Oregon now. Um, but uh, I thought yeah those were kind of some of the bigger takeaways that I had for for the defense. Um, Jeff Bossa looks you know like he he. Um, he continues to uh, look comfortable out there, kind of man in the middle on on that defense. Yeah, Bossa is another player that I definitely always trust on the Oregon defense. Uh, it seems like he never played safety. You know, he was playing safety last year. He plays linebacker now. It seems like he's been there forever, and he's that perfect build, in my opinion, for that box-to-box type of safety linebacker hybrid. Um Bossa was great tonight, especially like we talked about how Sewell um, had to step up into that defensive end. You're relying a lot more um, on Bossa and Keith Brown as well in the middle of the park. Um, but I thought he was great. And one thing I would add too is his energy is always great. He's got great celebrations, even on small tackle. You know, he brings that hype to the Oregon defense that you need sometimes to get off the field. Yeah, and no, the, the energy has definitely, definitely been there for this Oregon team on defense. Um, and I think that that's kind of going to be one of the main things I'm going to be following the rest of the year is how quickly, if they do even catch up, the defense catches up to the offense and just that level of production. Um, I think getting at least one takeaway per game is, is definitely a confidence booster. Um, 
And yeah, that, that fumble that Bennett forced was great. Uh, just when, you know, the helmet knocked the ball out right away and then and Noah was able to grab that. Um, let's see any, any kind of just as we start to wind down here, any more big picture takeaways that, that you wanted to hit on here, whether it's either side of the ball um, before we get out of here. Yeah, Max, you know, it's not very major, um, but I think it is worth noting because I want to say it's the third straight game that we've seen Ty Thompson come in at the end of the game. You know, obviously, it does, right now, Bo is obviously QB1. He, Ty Thompson is not coming in to take that spot from him at any time. But I really haven't been impressed with what Ty Thompson uh, has done lately. He's been put in some tough positions, and I'm concerned a little bit about the confidence for him because uh, Lanning keeps on throwing him in in these games that are already over with the second team. And when he doesn't do good, I just wonder – how that dynamic builds up. You know, I don't want to uh, speculate or anything like that. Just something worth noting because Ty Thompson is still getting snaps out here. Yeah. And that was kind of something that I was going to talk about. He, he finished just one for five for three yards and a pick um, with the ball getting batted uh, at the line. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, rip the guy apart. I feel like this is one of the biggest differences between, you know, college and, and NFL like if I were an NFL reporter, you could just go in. It's like these guys are making millions of dollars. It's you know whatever, but you know these are college students, so I feel like the the the, the dynamics a little bit different. But yeah, I feel like it's you know we've seen them enough times. It's it's maybe I'm not saying it's time to start asking questions, but like when when this game was out of hand, I was like I, I want to see some I want to see Butters. I want to see what he um you know what he has to do. It's not like you're in the position where you need points and. At the same time, though, Ty clearly needs these reps, but it just kind of feels like the offense is a little out of groove, like it's like you know a little forced or a little uncomfortable when um when when Ty's in there at quarterback. Um, so I, it, it's interesting because we were having this conversation earlier in the week, I think, uh, just about how Bo's been playing and how he has another year of eligibility and would Oregon fans want another year of Bo Nix just with how well the team is playing how fun the offense is to watch, how effectively they're, they're uh, operating. And then you also have the deal with, you know, Dante Moore, five-star quarterback in 23 is, is already committed. Is he going to really be in the position where he can compete and maybe even ultimately win the starting job as a true freshman once he gets here. And obviously you're going to lose probably one quarterback. That's just how things work in the era of the transfer portal. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting discussion point, but, um, but yeah, I was, I was, you know, thinking kind of the same thing, just, you know, how, how confident are you or, you know, where, where is Ty Thompson now relative to where you thought he was going to be and with how much playing time he's been able to get? Yeah, Max. And it's not something that I even want to discuss really. I don't want to think about next season, maybe Bo leaves, what happens with the quarterbacks, maybe Ty leaves. What's the deal with Dante? We're having, you know, the offense is playing so good for Oregon right now. It's hard to look forward to the next season. But every time you try to trot Ty Thompson out there, the questions are just going to come, you know. <clears throat> I'm not, I don't want Bo Nix to play um, all the games when Oregon's ahead. But every time Ty Thompson comes in, you start to open that door a little bit. Um, you know, today it didn't matter too much, but what if it does in a future week? It's uh, like I said, it's not a question that I want to be asking, but as long as we see him, we're going to keep wondering. 
Yeah. So, and I mean, he has these opportunities to, I'm not sure how loud that was. Sorry about that. Excuse me. Late night verb control uh, slipped up a little bit there. Um, but yeah, I mean, when he, when he comes out, you know, until he, you know, shows some, some more positive play and, you know, you know, scores or, you know, what have you, I think that those questions are definitely going to be asked. So I think that it's, it's definitely a fair question to ask. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much all I had. I feel like we hit on a lot of good stuff here, really quick 30 minutes. Um, but just any, any final points? Uh, yeah, Max, I would say a win is a win. It was a comfortable win for sure. No, no sweats, no nervous sweats, no crazy comebacks in the Stanford game this year. It was a good game. It wasn't a great game. And uh, I want Oregon to be careful these next few weeks. You know, next week in Arizona, that's going to be another fairly easy match, knock on wood, um, compared to the other, <laughs> compared to the other Pac-12 opponents. I only say easy because after the Arizona game, you've got a bye, and then you've got UCLA coming to town, and they look pretty good right now. So I just want this Oregon team uh, to stay locked in. Yeah, so I, I think that given how the Washington State game kind of unfolded, we saw some poor tackling appear again. I think that this was kind of like you were saying, like a good, not great game for Oregon. But it was one that they needed, right? It, you know, when we were writing stories this week, it's, you know, Stanford's coming. They, they always have a pretty talented roster. They have really good wide receivers, one of the most experienced wide receiver cores. Tanner McKee's a good quarterback if he's in a good offensive scheme and if he can be kept upright. Um and it's a Pac-12 after dark game. It's an eight o'clock game. So there were reasons to be kind of hesitant about this game, but, you know, it didn't really waver. And, and Stanford has a lot of things they have to figure out. But this is an important game for Oregon to come away with a win for because they have to hit the road next week for another Pac-12 after dark game, um, you know, depending on what time the sun sets out there in Arizona. But uh, you got a mobile quarterback and in, in Jaden Delora and, and some really interesting weapons that Jed Fish has brought in. Tetairo McMillan, the former Oregon wide receiver commit, California Gatorade Player of the Year. Um, yeah, he had a crazy Jacob catch tonight. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, yeah, and then, you know, Arizona, not a huge win to write home about, 43-20 to 20 over Colorado. But um, I just feel like if you lost this game to Stanford and then had to go face Arizona, it'd be a, a very different dialogue. So, um, you know, Oregon is, is winning the games that they're supposed to win, which is all you can ask for. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're seeing some signs of growth, but also seeing some areas where they uh, still have quite a bit of work to do. Definitely, definitely. Like we said, good, not great. A needed win, especially where Oregon's at. You know, they've got some space to move up in the rankings this week. Um, you got to win every week, you know, whether it's pretty or not, you got to win every week if you want to go where Oregon's trying to go. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. That's Graham Metzger. You can follow him on Twitter at Graham Metzger. You can find his written work on Ducks Digest. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorissports. If you guys are watching on YouTube, do me a big favor. Smash that like and subscribe button and share the Ducks Dish podcast. That is the easiest and most effective way you can support the show. Leave a comment. Let me know how you're feeling about this Oregon win and all that good stuff. And uh, we will catch you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. We out. Peace. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com